Have you ever considered camping on BLM land? Have you seen posts online from those camping for free with these incredible vistas and wondered where they were and how they scored that sweet spot? Well, on today's show, I'm sharing my first experience with BLM camping, also known as dispersed camping, from this past January in sunny Arizona. The 411 on this completely free form of off-the-grid respite coming up on today's show. Hello, my name is Janine Pettit and I'm a girl camper. I go places and do things with other adventurous and curious women. We camp like girls in tents, vans, travel trailers, motorhomes, and even cars. We travel solo and in groups to girl camping gatherings, large and small, to bucket list destinations with friends, or on our own to wherever the wind blows us. On this show, we'll talk about the qualities of a girl camper and how you can be a girl camper too. The girl campers are having a party and you're invited. Stay tuned while we share what's happening on the back roads of America the Beautiful. The Girl Camper Podcast is brought to you by our consortium of girl camper friendly RV dealerships. General RV with 13 locations in the U.S., Setzer's World of Camping in Huntington, West Virginia, and Bankston Motorhomes with three locations in Alabama and two in Tennessee. Also providing support and sponsorship for Girl Camper is Kempco Manufacturing, makers of over 4,000 products for your RV, boat, and tailgating needs. And GoRVing.com, home base for everything you need to get started RVing. And of course, our friends at Liberty Outdoors, makers of the Max and Mini RVs. Welcome, I'm Janine Pettit, Girl Camping Ambassador, Blogger, Adventurist, and Podcaster. And this is episode 204 of Girl Camper, the podcast. Well, I'm excited to share my experience and all that I learned while boondocking in Arizona a few weeks back. It was not only great to step out of the cold New Jersey winter, but to step into the isolation and enjoy some real solitude in the desert. Today, I'm going to share what dispersed camping is all about, where to find the spots, and what you need to have with you in order to make it fun and relaxing. Before we head into our show, I've got a message from our friends at Campco and Go RVing. Spring is around the corner and I am replacing and repairing things in my RV. One of the things I replace each spring is my Campco water filter. The Campco Taste Pure Water Filter and Flex Hose Protector assures that your water supply is filtered with granular activated carbon, that's just charcoal really, It's also protected against bacteria when it's not in use and it's sitting in the bottom of your camper waiting for your next trip and it's going to last you up to three months. It comes with the flex hose protector and that keeps the water hose from kinking. We've all been stuck in that spot where you turn on your hose and then it kinks at the campground hookup. 
It's low lead certified. It's made in the USA right in the Camco factory. I actually was at this station at the factory and saw how they were manufactured. It's just great that you don't have to buy this anti-keaking device because everything you need comes in the box, including that device, and it's all for 18 bucks. So check it out at Amazon or at an RV dealer near you. Check out your RV dealer stores. I want to tell you about Go RVing again. Go RVing is also helping us make the most of the upcoming camping season. Check out their website for an inspiring video in their Find Your Away series. And then jump over to find an RV show near you. So there are shows coming up in the next two weeks in Harrisburg, Virginia, Eugene, Oregon, Beaumont, Texas, Providence, Rhode Island, Columbus, Ohio, Overland Park, Canvas, and Hot Springs, Arkansas. I'm going to put the link in the show notes so you can click on to Go RVing and find a show near you. Get out there and find your way. GoRVing.com. So I'm sitting here in cold New Jersey looking at photos of my recent trip to Arizona, which is a great place to be in the winter, let me tell you. I was road testing the Lance 650 truck camper that was on last week's show. So if you missed it, go back and get that. This was all prepped for off the road, no hookup camping. So for many, many years now, I have watched some fellow girl campers head west to the Arizona desert each year. Right after Christmas, they're in a caravan. I'm telling you, these girls are leaving Texas and parts in the middle of the country. And they start caravanning out to the west. And they set up shop in beautiful, sunny Arizona. They like to get there by New Year's Eve. The really intriguing thing is that they always camp on what is called BLM land. So for those of you that don't know, BLM stands for Bureau of Land Management, and this is run by the U.S. Department of the Interior. So BLM land is owned by the U.S. government, or as I like to say, we the people. Acquisition of this kind of land by the government really began way back in the Western expansion and the whole homesteading movement where they had they purchased all this land in Oklahoma and homesteaders got to go out and build a homestead. They were trying to populate the West. At that time, it was called the General Land Office. Harry Truman merged the General Land Office with the U.S. Grazing Service and created the Bureau of Land Management. So now, today, there are 245 million acres of BLM land, and they are not all open for public use, but many, many are. Some BLM lands offer camping with developed campgrounds. They actually have restrooms and potable water there and electric, group shelters, picnic tables, rings everything you'd see at a campground, although it is a public land, so you still have to pay for those, though, and they usually are available on a first-come, first-served basis. The majority of camping, though, on BLM land offers what is referred to as dispersed camping. So these locations are really far, far away from any developed areas, and you can occupy a piece of little plot of land on these public lands for 14 days in a row in a 28-day period. So this is how it works. You can camp 14 days in a row or two or three days here or two or three days there, adding up to no more than 14 days in one spot in a 28-day area. 
After that's over, you must move at least 25 miles from the location you were at and start the next 14-day period of site occupation in a new place. So you've got to take in everything that you need and leave no trace behind you. You're going to need to have a setup that is completely self-contained or the ability to pack out everything that you brought with you because there's no water, no sewer, no garbage cans, and in most cases, not even paved roads. So you must be really self-sufficient when you get out there. Now, when I was out there in January, I started off on a piece of BLM land in Lake Havasu. I stayed there for about five days or so, and it was very interesting to me. So I observed campers in tents, a lot of tent camping going on, you know, even though it drops into the 30s at night, tents, cars, RVs of every age, description, and size, so Gorgeous, big Class A motorhomes, really small little towable trailers, old beat up, rusted out things that people somehow got in there. So when you get out there, it's not limited. You can camp any way you like. Just like Girl Camper, no wrong way to camp on BLM land. There are no actual campsites to be had, but in popular spots, what could be called roads, have been carved out by heavy use. So the Bureau of Land Management will will not even pave. Nothing's paved. Everything was dirt. But they will kind of open up an area. So they'll start where the road, the main road comes off, and they'll just open it up with front end loaders or something. So there is a way to cross over from the highway or whatever to get into that land. After that, Four-wheel drive vehicles and people who have done this on their own have created a little road system within these sites. So if you don't go too far inland at a designated spot, it's a fairly smooth ride to what I'm going to refer to as a site. (laughs) because It's not really a campsite as you and I would know it. A site is a place, really, that has had enough people pull over to use it that a sort of driveway forms. (laughs) at least until a big heavy rain washes it out. There are no services of any kind at this site, including road management. So you drive really slowly and you look for a place to pull over that keeps you off kind of the main road that most people drive into in the area. You want to get a little ways off that road, especially I'm talking about Arizona. Maybe it's different in Colorado and other places. I'm talking about Arizona here. It was a dust bowl. So you want to get a little ways off the road that's leading in or else you're just going to be eating dust the whole time you're out there. Those with off-road vehicles and smaller RVs can kind of go deep and really camp away from the maddening crowds. The very first site I camped at was a place called Craggy Wash and it's right outside of Lake Havasu, Arizona. It's a beautiful lake. There's a beautiful state park there, but it's booked for months and months and months on end. It's hard to get in that. And I don't know why you'd want to be because this was beautiful up here. So I went there and I was probably about three miles in. I interviewed the camp host there, though, and you could actually keep going on these carved out roads and 
actually cross the mountain pass. You could go 10 miles into that. And there are people who want to be that far away from people. But you got to have a good off-wheel vehicle to be doing that. So I want to talk about how you find these special places. Now, I found this place in Lake Havasu by recommendation. So if you know people who do this, privately, they're usually very happy to share their little spot with you. And a lot of people pin that on their phone, like this is where I was, because it would be nearly impossible to find the following year. So if you have someone who does a lot of boondocking, they might be willing to share a secret place with you if you don't tell anybody. My friend Patty, who is an experienced dispersed camper, was already there and she invited me to join her. Within the craggy wash, she had a little secret spot, which I'm sworn not to divulge and I never would. Um, but I have to say, when I got up there... I was instantly comfortable because Patty was there showing me the ropes. This is something I had never, ever done before. I knew nothing about it. And I have to say, because Patty knew everyone around us and had camped with them in previous years, I was immediately comfortable. I got there literally just minutes before dark, just enough time to say hello and get a feel for my surroundings before the sunset. Because when the sun sets out here in these places, it's literally zero uh, visibility. Darkness really does set in. There's no ambient light. You might see a little light coming from someone's trailer, but you can't see the roads or anything. So as a total newbie, I super appreciated the patronage of Patty showing me the ropes. I kept thinking when I was sitting there that first night, if she hadn't been there, if I had just pulled in minutes before dark and got set up without knowing who was around me or what this was all about, I, yeah, I would have been sleeping with one eye open all night. But I actually slept like a log because I got there and I met everybody around me and I had an opportunity to talk to everybody. So that is something that you have to think about. Like if this is something you're going to do for the first time, you know, are you going to be comfortable doing it by yourself? I don't think I would have been comfortable doing it alone. So I really appreciated that Patty walked me through it. Now, if you don't have a recommendation, the number one place for you to go when searching for a dispersed camping site is the app Campendium. So I talked to so many people while I was out there because after I left Lake Havasu, I went down to Quartzsite for the big RV show where literally thousands of people converge on this no town. It's not a town. <laughs> it's just not a town. Quartzsite, Arizona, which is like a crossroads in the map with a gas station and a place to uh, fill up your propane tank and a dump station, a little tiny market. It's not a town, but where they set up the big tent there um, for the RV show, there's pop-ups all over the place. So when this happens in the winter and everybody converges there, there's pop-up shops all over the place. When all that disappears after the end of the um, big RV show out there, um, there's really nothing there. And people who have just driven through there in the summer tell me it's just nothing. It's nothing. So... This big RV show out in Quartzsite, um, it takes place about 20 miles. No, 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 I'm sorry. It takes place about 10 miles from where a lot of the people are camping. There's a road out there. It goes down and to the left and the right is 
all BLM land. And during this big RV show every year, People put out their signs. They like it's homesteaders. They stake a spot. It'll say something like A liner owners or, you know, um, Riverside Retro owners and Airstream owners, all the different group, escapers and escapees and boondockers welcome and all these different groups all over. So when you see that flag, you just turn into this field and kind of follow the road down till you see where your group is camping and you. You set up right there. So it's just literally camping in the middle of nowhere. So when I was down in Quartzsite, I was camping with our friends from um, Rolling On TV. And we were with the Escapers group, which was a lot of fun. A lot of big RVs there. A lot of workshops going on. People having a lot of fun. Completely self-sufficient out there sitting in the Arizona sun. Lots of solar panels and everything going on. While I was there, I had a lot of opportunities to just talk to people about why you do this. Number one answer, it's free. Like, they're not paying a dime to be out there, and they've got beautiful rigs, and they're enjoying it, and they're meeting up with friends. So, but I asked people, too. They're there at Quartzsite, and they're there for the duration of this show. They, you can stay on that piece of land for 14 days. So where are they going afterwards? And they all have their favorite little spots because these couples from Minnesota and from Maine and from North Carolina, they come out every single winter, and they just go from spot to spot. A bunch of people were heading down to Yuma, Arizona, which is right on the border of Mexico. Huge town. Lots to do in Yuma. If you, you could be out on the BLM land, but drive into the town of Yuma. And then when you cross the border from Yuma into Mexico, a lot of retirees and a lot of full timers take that as an opportunity to get all kinds of medical and dental work done. So people go down to Yuma, they cross over. Uh, there was a lady there telling me about how she had all of her teeth capped and crowned and a whole set of dentures built. It was like $500. So a lot of people go there. Another woman told me she goes every year to get her glasses. So she gets an eye examination and a really expensive pair of bifocals that she wears. And the whole thing costs her like $200. I paid 200 for my exam for my doctor. And I don't even want to tell you what I paid for the bifocals that I could never quite get used to. So a lot of people go down to Yuma, but they spend their winter just roaming around the sunny southwest there. The number one thing I wanted to ask them next to why do you do this is how do you find these spots? So this Campendium app is Campendium, Campendium, Campendium. That's all everybody talked about. So a recommendation and Campendium. I already had Campendium on my phone. It's a free app. So I just had to go into it and look at it. So it's the best resource I could find. I, I looked at quite a few of them, and it is a bit of a rabbit hole because once you start searching, you can't stop yourself. I did a search all around Arizona in there, and there's a ton of BLM land out west. There is literally no BLM land for camping in New Jersey. I don't think there's any BLM land in New Jersey. Most of this is all um, out west. A lot of it is out west. I mean, there's Colorado and all that, but northeast New England, you're not going to find a lot of BLM camping. So 
once you go onto Campendium and you find your little slice of heaven in the Campendium app, people who have camped there before are able to leave reviews. And in addition to the reviews, they leave you some directions to help you get to it. So all of the listed properties that are on Campendium have a pin. You can just tap on it and it will take you to Google Maps. The problem with this is that so many of these places, there's just no Wi-Fi out there whatsoever. You're really in the middle of nowhere. So the Google Map app isn't going to help you here. So you really have to rely on people's um, reviews that they left. And when you read the tips with directions, it'll say things like, um, after you go through the blinking stop sign, you go down this road 1.7 miles and there is a road on the left-hand side. Now, there's no big signs with arrows pointing. This is the place. Sometimes it's just a normal street sign like you would see, you know, Lawndale Avenue or whatever. It's a normal street sign. But most of the time, it is just a little sign with a circle and it'll say BLM. There's no big flashing thing that's going to tell you you're here. So when I first arrived in Arizona, because I flew into California and then I drove out to Lancaster, um, California to pick up the 650 from Lance. And then I crossed the border and I was in Arizona, which was a time change. So the reason that worked out great for me is it, once I crossed over the time zone in California, it was getting dark at 530. But when I went only, you know, 20 miles into Arizona, it's not getting dark until 6.30. So when I got into Arizona, just driving through the state to over to Lake Havasu, I just started spotting all of these RVs just parked in fields. So I accidentally found all kinds of BLM spots because they're the ones with just dozens of RVs parked in the middle of nowhere. You just run into them. Finding the hidden gems is going to require a little more effort on your part in this app as well. In addition to that, it's a good idea to join some boondocking groups, get in a BLM group on Facebook. Nobody's going to tell you their secret spot online where everybody can read it. But if you're going someplace and you look like a person who's trustworthy, someone might private message you and say, hey, if you go there, Go a little mile and a half further down that road and take the left turn and you're going to find this little lake with like three spots and they might be willing to tell you where it is. So they can only stay there two weeks themselves. So usually people will share something, but it isn't going to be shared publicly. I was really amazed at the number of people that I met that just spend their winter going from site to site. Um, in between these two-week stays, they stop and they replenish their supplies. There were several places out there where you could get your uh, tank dumped, get your propane uh, resupplied, and get fresh water. So you didn't even have to use a campground one night for that. I ended up um, coming down the mountain from where I was camping in Lake Havasu, staying overnight at the Lake Havasu State Park, which was booked to capacity, but they let you park in their parking lot. I think it was $35 to park 
hook in the parking lot, which seemed outrageous to me because there was no hookups. You're just in an overspill parking lot there. But with that $35 fee, I got to use their showers and dump station, empty my tanks and fill up my water tanks before I went on to Quartzsite. So that was like a good exchange for me. I thought that was a great idea. I have a friend who did this um, last year. She does it every year. But last year, she was on the road for four months, not in Arizona, but in the Pacific Northwest. She only spent $68 camping the entire time she was gone. So that is some cheap camping going on there. So this app helps you find a lot about um where to find these sites. You can get on some Facebook groups. You can join communities and get a recommendation from someone. And then if you find someplace really great, be kind enough to go onto the Campendium app and add any kind of like special notes you want to say about that site because I was reading those last night and they're really, really helpful. You don't want to arrive at one of these places at dark and you don't want to go into some place and then find that you have a rig that's too big to turn around because there's really not roads out there. So really spend some time studying the spot that you're going to go to, and Campendium is the best place to do that. So let's talk about what you're going to need to make this doable. (laughs) No, let's talk about what I need to make this doable. I'm sure there's hardier souls out there than me. In fact, I saw many of them. I saw people camping in the rear of their trucks with just, you know, a truck with a cap on it. Um, there was a couple camping near me in Lake Havasu, and they camped in the same place every night. And it's kind of like class A to go up and approach someone and just start chatting. If people want to chat with you, they're going to give you a wave. And these people just pulled in at night, got out of their car, opened the hatchback, fixed up a bed, you know, um, and went to sleep and they were gone every morning. So one of the people I was camping with told me that she had spoken to them and they were in a, an employed but homeless young couple. So they got up every morning and went to their job from that spot ate out at night, went to the gym and got their shower, got their clothes, got their hair done, got ready for the next day, and then got up, um, then came out to the campsite at night and slept in their car. A lot of people do that. You know, it's a huge problem out in California. So literally every kind of camper out there. So there were plenty of people doing really roughing at camping. I saw lots of people out there just car camping, lots of people in tents, which was surprising because it was cold at night. But most of the people that I met and talked to out there and saw were really in fully contained RVs of all kinds. Lots of class C, or I mean class B vans, camper vans, lots of small lightweight towables like my Max. A surprising amount, though, of really big Class A motorhomes, especially at Quartzsite. Um, Quartzsite just had huge groups of people, really super expensive rigs. So when I attended the Quartzsite RV show, there were thousands of big rigs out there, and many of these had the built-in generators, tons of solar panels, and these people were living quite comfortably in the middle of the desert. Personally, I can't imagine doing this for any length of time without um, these generators. You really would want to have kind of large, black, uh, freshwater tanks, gray tanks. 
the extra AGM batteries. If you were doing this, and many of the people I met and talked to had more than one solar panel, I was camping with one single 100-watt panel. It was plenty. It was plenty for the 650, plenty for me. But if you were a couple, you might want to have an extra panel. Most of the people are carrying extra propane tanks with them because even though it's in mild and in the mid-70s during the day, it did drop down to the mid to high 30s several, most of the nights I was there. One night it was really warm, but and I had the window open, but most nights it was... Um, in the 30s so for me i was perfectly comfortable in the lance with the 100 watt and that has a really good agm battery but if you were going to be a boondocker if you're going to do this lifestyle the people who go out there every winter and just live off the grid and you've made that investment in a really amped up rv you could really live quite comfortably all winter long as cheaply as can be so there's a few rules spoken and unspoken among our community of modern day homesteaders that I'd like to share with you. So one of them is you don't crowd each other. So there's 245 million acres available and people want their space. <laughs> I was in an area with my friend and another friend texted me and said she was in my neck of the woods and I sent her a pin. Hey, come out and join us. So I mentioned to a couple of the people who were camping near me, hey, a girlfriend of mine is coming over and they looked at me like, well, where is she going to park? And to me, it seemed like, what do you mean? We're, we're here and there's plenty of room. But it's kind of an unspoken rule that if you've got a little spot there, you should ask your neighbors if you mind that someone's going to double up with you there. So people want 100, 200, 300 yards between them. They don't want someone right on top of them. Number two. If someone has overstayed his welcome or not traveled the requested 25 miles between sites, everybody's just quiet about this. It's not a ranger versus user kind of mentality, but nobody rats other people out. Um, what one of the rangers told me is that a lot of times he'll see someone and they've been there past their 14 days. So he said he'll usually give the people two or three more days. A lot of people do employ this little trick where they'll put their hood open and say to the ranger, oh, I'm sorry, I'm having trouble with my car and I just ordered a part and I'm waiting to get it and I should be able to get out of here. So, you know, if the place is not crowded, the ranger told me he just lets that go. But if it's crowded and he knows that he sees people pulling in and then pulling out because they can't get a spot, then he's going to force that person to move on. So it's kind of a little secretive. You know, you don't say, nobody reports somebody and says, this guy's been here three weeks. Okay, number three. You don't knock on someone's camper and introduce yourself as the guy next door. If people kind of venture out and they wave to you, they're signaling that they're open to chatting. And most people were very friendly, but it's not a thing where you just like, hey, I'm your neighbor right up the hill here. Where are you from? 
people really go out there because they want to be alone. Now, there's a lot of walking going on. I did my 99 walks almost every day and chatted with everybody I passed on the road. Everybody's friendly and waving. But it wasn't this big kumbaya society where like everybody on this side of the mountain come over for cocktails tonight. We did have one night like that, but it's not an every night thing. It seemed to be like really a special occasion. We're going to get together. People are out there because they want privacy and they're friendly. So it's kind of like don't approach unless they approach you. Someone waves, then you might stop and talk. Number four, you don't take someone else's space. So those who camp in a Class B van or like me, I was in the truck camper or you have a motorhome, but you're not towing a vehicle behind you. When you leave your spot and you're just going to be gone for a couple of hours, you've got to leave something to mark your spot. You know, you got to, I had to leave my chairs there. But there were other people who told me they came back and their chairs were gone and somebody was in their sight and they knocked on the guy's door and said, where's my chairs? This was my site. And they were told there were no chairs here when I arrived here. Now, whether that was true or not, nobody is ever going to know. Most people are not like that. They respect the fact that someone has earmarked this spot, but that's a thing out there, too. If you leave, you've got to mark your spot. Number five, never dump gray water or, God forbid, any other tanks on your site. So there's this temptation to dump gray water because you can actually use your outside hose, right? So you could go outside and wash off your shoes or your dog with soapy water and that soap and water is running out on the site and down the hill. It's the same water that's in your gray tank, but dumping your gray tank is actually a ticketable offense and it really offends people there. It's really frowned on. So you may be able to stay out there really long with um, your black tank, but it's the gray tank that gets filled up. So never, ever dump your gray tank um, on, on a public land. It's, it's ticketable. Number six, don't play loud music. Doesn't everybody know this? But yet there was someone there just playing music really, really loud. I asked the camp host and the camp host there, the camp hosts don't interfere with people. They may go up and say, what's going on? And the guy says, nothing. I'm just playing my music here, minding my own business. And if it's so offensive that, you know, the guy seems drunk or something you know like like a problem if it's just a guy playing loud music they you just let it go if you don't like it you move your spot so if there was a problem with a person's behavior or he he got out of control or some way the camp post calls in the state police and they come and deal with that camp hosts don't deal with this stuff and not every piece of blm land has a camp post there was a camp post in lake havasu but none in court site so If you don't like what someone else is doing, you move your spot. You can have campfires here, but they have to be contained. So I noticed that a lot of ways to identify a spot as a spot is that you, somebody has gathered up a bunch of rocks and created a fire pit. Many people bring in a fire pit. There were several people with propane fire pits, like the big red campfire that I have. So If you have a fire, you never, never leave it and you never go to bed with any kind of embers going. Leave no garbage behind. 
Don't walk your dog near other people's sites. Um, this was a weird thing. The very first night I got there, it got very dark, and um, it was I was only settled in about a half an hour, but it was pitch black outside. And I was all buttoned down in my little uh, back of my truck camper, getting all cozied in, and I heard all of this crunching gravel around the outside of my truck. And I'm like, who the heck could be walking around the truck here. And I texted my friend Patty, are you outside my truck? No, she was in her camper. But she said to me, I think it's the guy who parks in front of you. There was a van that was parked in front of me and it had a man with a cat. And at night, once it got dark, he would walk his cat on a leash. Why he would walk the cat around the outside of my camper is beyond me with 245 million acres available, or at least the 30-acre little patch we were on there in our little spot, that just blew my mind. Like, why would anyone do that? So anyway, that's kind of a no-no. And the other thing is, you don't walk your dog near other people's sight, but you also keep your dog on a leash. There were several people letting their dogs run around. Everybody thinks their dog's the most charming dog in the world, just like people think their grandchildren are the cutest kids in the world. Your dog is only cute to you, and it really interferes with the um, indigenous wildlife, too. So a dog is, you know, they're wired to hunt and sniff and smell, and they go after a prairie dog or something. So keep your dog on a leash. Absolutely nobody picked up after their dogs because it's out in the wild, and, you know, animals are pooping out there all the time, so they just think their dogs are part of it. So everybody was walking their dogs. Nobody was picking up after their dogs. The last thing I'm going to tell you about with this is, and I didn't know what this was all about, a lot of people had their car hoods open at night. So I was thinking, well, are these the people trying to fool the ranger into thinking they have car trouble? Could all of these people have car trouble here? No. So it wasn't a big problem when I was there because of the time of year. But the closer to spring it gets, rats, and I mean rats, not mice, rats come out of their holes and they climb up in the engine and they they chew the wires in your car. So you can't see them during the day, but they come out at night. So what all the boondockers do is they leave the hood of the car open and they have sets of solar lights. So a string of solar lights soak up the sun all day long and they put those solar lights underneath the car, under the engine on the ground, and the rats don't want to go near the light. So they steer away from that whole thing. So those are the tips I learned when I was out there boondocking. I really, really, I can't wait to do this thing again. I thought it was so much fun. I learned a lot. Um, I learned that I never need to go to the Quartzsite RV show again. I'm one and done on that thing. It was an okay RV show. The big tent was everything that you see in big tents at every RV show there. I was disappointed that there was no like really cool things there. There was nothing, you know, I, I spent four hours there and I was absolutely exhausted and dried out like a prune. I had to drink two bottles of Gatorade when I got back. So I'm good on the show. Next year, I think I would really like to go down to Yuma and check out what everybody's doing there. I'd like to get over to Anza Borrega. So it's definitely something I want to do again. It was so much fun. Um, I'm going to be taking advantage of 
any opportunity I have to get out there next year. And next year, I think I'll know a little more about planning ahead of time and hooking up with some of the friends that um, I want to camp with, people I know that do that every year. Everybody was texting me, I'm here, I'm there, can you come here, can you come there? I just didn't have enough time to do all those things. But if I'm taking the Quartzsite RV show off the table, I'm going to have more time for those things. All in all, I'd say it was a great time. I love doing it and I can't wait to do it again. I'm, I'm just love the idea of just finding every single way to camp out there and experience each one of those. Now, if you are in the mood to be looking for a new RV, check out our friends at General RV. They're the nation's largest owned family RV dealership with 13 full service locations, 5,000 RVs, and over 500 fully equipped service bays. That number always blows me away every time I see it. They have sustained growth, and it's fueled by their commitment to provide world-class service to their customers. General RV now has 12 superstores across the nation, six in Michigan, two in Florida, one each in Ohio, Utah, Illinois, and Virginia. General RV, the nation's largest family-owned RV dealership, and they want you to join the General RV family. Well, that's a wrap for this week, everybody. It's been great sharing this information with you. Please give us a note. Tell us what your experience is with dispersed camping we'd love to hear from you check us out on facebook at the girl camper facebook group and on instagram at girl underscore camper have a great week everybody happy trails